You think the American Triple Crown is the pinnacle of racing? Well, the Kentucky Derby is worth $2 million. The Preakness and Belmont, a million and a half each. How about a Triple Crown worth $6, $12, and $10 million? That's the Triple Crown, sort of, that Arrogate is on the verge of completing. We'll talk about it with Garrett O'Rourke of Judmont Farms next here on In the Gate. They're in the gate. They're in the gate. In the gate. They're in the gate. It's a head-bobbing finish! This is In the Gate, ESPN's Thoroughbred Racing Podcast. My name is Barry Abrams. You can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. You can also get us on our YouTube channel by searching In the Gate Podcast. You can get us on SoundCloud as well, which services the iTunes store, TuneIn.com, and its app. And now you can subscribe to In the Gate in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In the Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. Mike Smith is the first to move as Arrogate moves up to take the lead. Back to second is Neolithic. Back to third is Noble Bird. California Chrome is losing ground. California Chrome not gaining. He's back wide and racing in fifth. Shaman Ghost splits horses for Jose Ortiz, and they're into the stretch. And it's the Breeders' Cup winner. It's Arrogate in front, leading by three with an eighth of a mile to go. Shaman Ghost is trying to get into second. Then Neolithic. Back fourth is Noble Bird, followed by Keen Ice. But what a race! What a sport! What a a horse, Arrogate, rops in the Pegasus. He won it by three and a half while confidently handled. About the only question surrounding Arrogate these days was whether his win in the Pegasus World Cup was actually a Gulfstream Park track record or not. The originally posted time, 147.61, would not have been. But then, a longtime Gulfstream clocker went back to watch the race because he felt the posted time seemed too slow compared to what he'd seen in person. A full investigation ensued, with both Timeform USA and the track's official clocker, Trackus, settling on 146.83, which is three one-hundredths of a second faster than Lee ran in the 2014 Don Handicap, which is now the Pegasus World Cup. So at least we've got that settled. Arrogate looks to sweep the world's three richest races when he goes postward in the Dubai World Cup on Saturday. To look ahead to this unprecedented, unusual triple crown of sorts, we're joined by Garrett O'Rourke, manager of Judmont Farms USA operation, which owns Arrogate. Winter is not typically the time of year when your top horses have the screws put to them, but obviously this three-race sequence has changed things. How has Arrogate handled the sustained workload and the ship to Dubai? Seemingly very well, and you know you you hold your breath every day with a horse of of well with all horses, and you know things as um, Bob saw unfortunately with Mastery, who he was waxing lyrical about going into the race. You know things can change very quickly, but you know his races have been Arrogate's races have been spaced out two months apart. He comes out of his races seemingly in good shape. Bob said he was a little tired after the the Breeders' Cup, all right, as he should have been, and came out of the Pegasus in good shape and had enough time then to let him recuperate for a month before he got him back into the schedule of hard training to get him ready for this again. So it's definitely new and different, given the, the spring campaign that has evolved now between Pegasus and Dubai World Cup. 
but the spacing of the races is conducive to allowing um, horses to grab their breath and then move to the next one. So, so far, everything, I'm touching wood saying this, everything has been very smooth. What about your breath? How did you feel when you saw that amazing stretch run in the Breeders' Cup Classic? Now, that took my breath away. I was, you know, because we went into the Breeders' Cup very hopeful, and I wouldn't say we weren't confident, but you don't really, I suppose you don't really realize until after the fact, you know, how, how you're going to feel or how confident you really are. And when he turned for home in the Breeders' Cup and California Chrome had gotten it all his own way um, up front and then kicked away from him, yeah, there was that feeling like we were running for second for a while until he just lengthened that stride and put the head down. California Chrome to the 516th by two and a half. Arrogate, the solitary three-year-old, is sweeping after him in earnest as they race well clear of melatonin. Top of the stretch, California Chrome is a length in front, but he faces an uncommon opponent today. Arrogate tries hard to reel in California Chrome. California Chrome with Espinosa going for the whip is still in front. Arrogate tries Trying his heart out, California Chrome from Arrogate, a pulsating climax to the classic. Arrogate takes the lead and wins. Arrogate beat California Chrome. Uh, the Pegasus then may be a little bit different in that we were uh, the you know we were the favourite, we were the ones with the target on our backs, and he delivered again there. And unfortunately, Chrome didn't, and I think that was the rematch that everyone was anticipating. But I was still very proud of our guy for showing up. Uh, and then to break a track record and now um, hold track records at Saratoga and Gulfstream Park uh, after such a short career so far, uh, I think is just amazingly impressive. Did somebody say Saratoga? It is Arrowgate and Mike Smith. Oh, they've opened up a five, a six-length lead here with one furlong to run. They've left the field reeling behind. American Freedom and Gunrunner are fired behind Arrowgate. What a commanding performance. He won the Travers by 12. Oh, what a race he ran today in a final time of 1 minute 59.36 seconds. The fastest Travers ever a new track record. Remember when Arrogate was looked at skeptically leading up to the Travers because he hadn't knocked heads with Nyquist or Exaggerator? <laughs> what delayed <laughs> his development last year? Well, you know, he went into training at the same time as everybody else in the in the spring and was showing ability and then got some sore shins and I had discussed it at the time with Bob as to whether we'd bring him back to the farm or just leave him out there to get over them. And we elected to bring him back to the farm, given that it happened in September. And we knew that, look, once you get to August of their two-year-old year, if you want to make the derby, you can't have anything that's going to knock you off schedule for more than three weeks after that point in time. And uh, so we knew this was going to knock him off for two months we elected to bring him back uh, to the farm and forget about the derby. You know, it was a good decision in hindsight in that the horse, not just did he get over the shin, which ended up being a minor thing, but it allowed him time just to develop and strengthen. And he, by the time we hit and sent him back to Bob, I think it might have been January or so, 
but he had just grown into a, he was always a good-looking horse, but he'd grown into a magnificent physical specimen at that point in time. And it was no more than about eight weeks later, Bob started to really chirp about he being the horse that would pay for all of the expenditures that we had made on um, yearlings at the sales. So, you know, I, I think everything just fell into place after he'd been given enough time just to, to develop. And it wasn't just, it wasn't just a matter of a shin. It was, I, I just think, him uh, specifically needing just a little longer to develop. Now, you mentioned Bob Baffert, and many racing fans know that for roughly two decades, your American-based horses were just about all with the late, great Bobby Frankel in California. Frankel died in 2009, and it took a little while, I think, to figure out your plan for racing horses here in the States. I'll bet Bobby Frankel would be pleased to know that no one trainer could replace him, because you have horses with Chad Brown, Belmont, and, of course, Baffert who trains Arrogate. Now, of those three, Baffert, I think, is the only one not known for developing turf horses. He's almost all about dirt runners. So how did Baffert come to be part of your plans? Well, Prince Gallard has always wanted to have the best trainers trained for him. And, and we had discussed, Bob, and in the past, I had expressed my opinion that, you know, Bob is an exclusive dirt trainer who likes not just training dirt horses but speed dirt horses as he calls it himself he likes horses with gas horses that can lay up <laughs> and he given that he liked those horses we looked at the types of horses that we produce in general and even if you look at the empire makers the aptitudes they weren't your speed california dirt types you know they were more classic types and i think of a lot of our broodmare band produces those classic types so having pointed that out to prince Carlot, he made the decision to just say well buy him the type of horse that he needs then because uh, prince Carlot wanted to have horses with bob baffert and that's how it evolved we're chatting with garrett o'rourke of judmont farms here on in the gate one part of the racing business that many fans don't like is that as soon as a horse is at the top of his game, he's worth much more at stud than he is on the track. Now, for a large operation like Judmont, how much do the purses of these three races that Arrogate is looking to sweep, the $6 million Breeders' Cup Classic, the $12 million Pegasus World Cup, and $10 million Dubai World Cup, change that thinking? Everything, when it comes down to it, I think with a lot of successful people that are involved in our sport, I suppose if you're already successful and uh, you're wealthy enough, A, you're able to play at a level that it's not going to hurt you if things go wrong. But, uh, and you know, you can take more risks probably as well. But my experience is that an awful lot of the people at that level are already very successful business people. So the economics of it, where it can help with big prize money like this, obviously encourages them to to be braver. So even at Judmont's level with Prince Carlot, obviously we, we we set budgets just like everybody else and pay very close attention to what it's costing to run the operation. And the purses of these races take a tremendous amount of pressure, obviously, off the annual budget and maybe encourages then to try and, and you know put some of the money back in, with, whether that be purchasing more horses or whether that be buying more expensive, see, you know, maybe a few extra tappets, a few extra uh, war fronts or whatever. You know, you've got to constantly be 
balancing the amount of money that's been outlaid every single year you know against um, the value that you're putting into the operation by virtue of the increased value of your folds and uh, and also your earning potential from all of those folds when they hit the racetrack uh, as to whether they can repay the initial outlay so it's unfortunately from the day you spend money to the day you see your foal yearling two-year-old and then get those horses to the races it's about five years down the road before you see whether you're going to get a return or not so that's where the experience i think of what you should and shouldn't do and what we've done in the past and either succeeded or failed that gives us the confidence to you know to be aggressive in some areas and less aggressive in others you know but that's there's a lot of unknown in between and a lot of management and uh, keeping the investment um, viable and hopefully ultimately profitable. How aggressive would you be with Arrogate, assuming he comes out of the Dubai World Cup okay, whether he wins or not? You know, what would be the plan for him the rest of the year? Well, Prince Gallard was very clear from the beginning of the year or probably from immediately after the Breeders' Cup that he wanted the horse to be kept fresh for the end of the year. He wants him to have a championship season, and he didn't want to be too aggressive with him early on in the year and and risk that he might fade later in the year. So having discussed that openly with Bob, I mean, we hovered over whether we would keep him in California for the Santa Anita Handicap and skip Dubai, but the horse was doing so well and working well and uh, and again Touchwood has had any hiccups since the Pegasus so we've elected to go to Dubai immediately after we come back from Dubai the plan is to give him a rest at that point in time and work backwards from the Breeders' Cup Bob is looking at the Pacific Classic as an obvious race given that the Breeders' Cup is in Del Mar this year it would make sense I think to point to the Pacific Classic as a prep race as to whether he would run before that or not, you know, it's it's way too premature to even consider that. We'll get home from Dubai and give him his rest and let the horse tell us, you know. Sometimes he's a horse that gets very full of energy and, you know, a horse gets full of energy. Sometimes it's more dangerous just to let them doing nothing than it is just to let them go out and get some of the steam off. So um, we have a lot of things like that to watch, observe, and then react to before deciding on whether he'd have another race before the Pacific Classic, but that seems to be the major contender to be his uh, Breeder Cup Classic prep race. Powered by horses like Arrogate and Flincher, don't forget about Flincher, Judmont Farm won its third Eclipse Award this year as champion owner. They also won in 1992 and 2003. That brings us to the Dubai World Cup, as well as the Triple Crown Trail. We'll get to that in a few minutes with our good friend Gary West back with us here on In the Gate. How amazing is it, let's just state the obvious here, that Arrogate could win a $6, 12 and $10 million race trio in five months? Well, he could become the richest horse of all time, surpassing California Chrome, who's at $14 million. And Arrogate right now is at, what, eleven. And, and in just seven races, so in eight races, he could become the all-time uh, richest horse and will be odds-on, probably, to do just that. It is astounding 
but I think very encouraging for the sport because for many years we've seen the stars of the game leave for the breeding shed after their three-year-old seasons, but now there's an incentive to stay around. This horse is going to make millions and millions of dollars on the racetrack, and, and I think that's a very positive development for the sport to have these super lucrative races to give people an incentive to perhaps race at least another few months or even another year. We saw California Crone, who's going to be a stallion, delay his retirement a little while so he could run in the Pegasus. And now we see Arrowgate, uh, who is, is having a four-year-old campaign. Now, this is just the kind of horse who would have been retired after his three-year-old year. But now he's racing at four, and he could very well become the richest horse of all time. The money, of course, is a main reason why horses would go to Dubai. One of the other factors in bringing American horses to Dubai is the return to the dirt surface at Maidan Racecourse after five years of synthetic surfaces there. Starting in 2015, it's gone back to dirt, and California Chrome went each of the first two years. Arrogate, Opportunity, and Gunrunner will be there this year. But here's the question for me. In addition to those factors... How much do you think, if at all, that American trainers are a little less leery of the long trip to and from Dubai? I think that's a major factor. We saw in the early years of the World Cup, American horses go there and return perhaps not as as uh, good as they were when they left. And I think now American trainers have figured it out. And it's uh, a difficult trip to be sure, but uh, we saw California Chrome come back, and he was as good as ever. And I think we'll see the same from Arrogate as well. Obviously, Baffert has done this trip a number of times, and if any stable knows how to do it, his does. So uh, I'm, I'm not too fearful about that anymore, and I don't think American trainers are too fearful about that either. And they head for home in the Rebel and Uncontested and Malagasy, and they're pretty much even to the outside. And in the middle of the track, those looking at Lee and Untrapped, and here comes Untrapped outside of Malagasy. Malagasy has the lead. Untrapped going to try to gun him down on the wire. It's these two. Petrov is third. Malagasy, Untrapped. It is Malagasy to win the Rebel. We all know that Bob Baffert has one of the most formidable stables in the country. What a year it's been for him with Arrogate, whom we just mentioned, but American Anthem finishing up the track in the Rebel, and of course, Mastery now going to the shelf with the Condylar fracture after the win in the San Felipe. But here comes Todd Pletcher. We hadn't spoken much about Todd Pletcher this spring, but he had one liner win the Southwest, and now Malagasy taking the Rebel. How much stock, let's be the first to say it, do you put in a horse that didn't run a race as a two-year-old in Malagasy? Well, of course, we've heard many times, and I think I first wrote about this, seems like a hundred years ago. We haven't had a Kentucky Derby winner who was unraced at two since uh, the 19th century. And we're going to have one. It might be Malagasy, it might be someone else. But eventually we're going to have one, I think, because trainers are holding on to their promising two-year-olds that might be able to negotiate the mile and a quarter distance a little longer than they once did. There isn't the pressure that they once had, particularly in the high-end stables, to get a quick return from those two-year-olds. And we're going to see horses more and more, um, I think, 
and not debut at two or maybe uh, late in their two-year-old years. You know, it used to be that you went to, at least I went to Saratoga looking for these promising young horses that would be in the Kentucky Derby the next year. I can remember seeing a maiden race at Saratoga that produced two Kentucky Derby starters the next year. But now you see a lot of those two-year-olds making their debuts in November, December, or even waiting until the start of the Gulfstream Park uh, season, which, of course, is the situation with Malagasy. We're going to see a horse do this eventually, and uh, it might be this year. But Malagasy uh, is a very interesting horse, and he's stretching out to two turns. We had a dynamite race in the Rebel. I was shocked, frankly, that American Anthem ran so poorly. I had seen him a week earlier in California. He worked in company with Morris Spirit, who also went to uh, Oakland Park to run in the Essex Handicap. And when Morris Spirit won very impressively, I just assumed I would see more of the same from American Anthem because when they work, they were together. And if anything, American Anthem might have looked a little better than Morris Spirit, but he didn't run a step in, in the Rebel. And that changed the uh, complexion of the race entirely. The, the, the pace cooled down. Malagasy was able to uh, sit just off the early leader and move to be lead the top of the lane. And uh, he won by two links. And, an impressive performance visually, but the time of the race was rather mediocre. He went a mile on the 16th in a minute and 43 seconds. Compare that to the Essex handicap where we saw more spirit win in 41 and change, 41 and three, I believe it was. So he went seven lengths slower. Granted, the older horse should run faster, but not seven lengths faster. That, that suggests to me that a lot of horses in the Rebel, for whatever reason, just didn't show up. Malagasy did, and uh, now we have to see where he goes from here. But you mentioned Todd Fletcher, and he does indeed look like he's got a, a strong hand going to the Derby. You know, for years, we're accustomed to these Todd Fletcher horses being precocious, firing out there at two, winning all the races at two. And then as three-year-olds, maybe they're not quite as good or they don't develop. Maybe that was a factor of him having precocious horses. But the fact is this year, he's got some horses that are late developers who are coming along. Malagasy's one of them. Caprit, the winner of the Tampa Bay Derby, of course, is another. And we're going to see Todd Fletcher at Churchill Downs. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Malagasy, by the way, finished just ahead of a 112 to 1 long shot in Sonneteer, plus the fact that if you look at all three of Malagasy's races, the two that he won at Gulfstream Park starting just after New Year's and the Rebel, he had three absolutely perfect trips. And I don't think he's going to get that in either the Arkansas Derby or certainly in Kentucky if he gets that far. So, I'm a little skeptical of Malagasy, but you mentioned Taprit, who looked very good winning the Tampa Bay Derby, had some trouble, managed to get through it, and I think you're right. He's going to be a legitimate contender here on the Triple Crown Trail, but who is your favorite right now on the Triple Crown Trail? Barry, I, I keep waiting for some horse to jump up and grab me by the lapels and say I'm the one, but I just haven't seen that yet. You mentioned Malagasy having a perfect trip in the Rebel that's very true. And most of the winners of these prep races have experienced the same kind of trip. Uh, J. Boy's Echo, for example, in New York, we went to Gotham, looks impressive. But if you go back and look at the day's races, the track was very, very slow, and he had a perfect trip. Absolutely. All these winners are horses that have just had everything their own way, which 
says to me that maybe they're not quite as good as they look, and maybe they're all pretty close in, in talent and ability. So I'm eager to see what happens when Classic Empire and McCracken are back in the gate and see if they can step forward because they appeared to be early in the year the two best three-year-olds, and, and now they've had, as you know, issues uh, getting to the Derby. Uh, so I'm eager to see if they can take up where, where we hoped they would be or, or where they left off. The one that I've liked all along, and I don't say that because he's at the very top of the leaderboard, has been Gunnavara. I've loved him all the way. I'm not taking my business elsewhere. I still love Gunnavara. Yeah, I want to see him take on McCracken and Classic Empire, but this is a horse who came from behind to finish second in the Holy Bull on a track that favors speed and then looked awesome winning the Fountain of Youth. I think he may not be cranked up for the Florida Derby, because he doesn't have to be at this point, but I'm definitely a big backer of Gunnavara. Well, I'm like you. His last two races, a great deal. And he is one of the few horses out there right now who looks like he will really appreciate the mile and a quarter distance. Uh, he and Paprit, I would say, are, are the two horses that uh, you know will, will, will be fine at Churchill Downs going a mile and a quarter. The others I'm not so sure about, but uh, I'm, I'm with you there. Gunvar is a, a legitimate derby contender. Our thanks to Gary West and to Garrett O'Rourke. The three big races Arrogate will try to sweep might fool you into thinking the sports regained its vitality. But the top end of the business doesn't speak about its breadth where horsemen see a different reality. The stallion market to produce those top-end-worthy runners is shrinking down to an elite pricey few. The smaller breeders, who have largely kept the industry running, are being squeezed and don't know what to do. If this keeps up, the little guys will soon be out of racing, and the foal population will plummet more. Filling cards and racing days is more difficult than ever, you just can't buy a racehorse in a store. So appreciate the spectacle of Arrogate in Dubai. His accomplishments these days are without peer. But don't be hoodwinked into thinking the sports regained its magic. We need equal doses of optimism and fear. You can get us on our YouTube channel by searching In The Gate Podcast. You can get us on SoundCloud as well, which also services the iTunes Store and TuneIn.com. You can find us on the Pink Podcatcher app as well. And you can subscribe to In The Gate in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In The Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. And you can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. That's In The Gate for this week. I'm Barry Abrams. We'll see you next time.